have to say something about Vacation Bible School because one of my favorite weeks of the year, I get to play. In fact, it, it was pretty funny. I had um, two kids during the week. One was a kindergartner, said to me, I want to work here. <laughs> I said, every week's like this. But um, I also had one student noticed my picture there and said, you're not watching where you're going. <laughs> and I said, welcome to my world. One of the things I love about Vacation Bible School is that we have so many teenagers and young people who serve the Lord during that week. It's amazing. I think it's one of the great opportunities for us to pass the keys on to the next generation. One of the great opportunities for us to mentor and to train and to equip the next generation of leaders for the church of Jesus Christ. In my last church, I had a, um, a, a boy that was, he started working with me. They always had to put at least two teenagers with me to keep me focused during the week and to tell me that it was time to move on to the next place. And I had um, this, this young boy, he was, I think, seventh or eighth grade when he first started working with me. And we worked together for the next number of years. He is in full-time church ministry today. I'll tell you, that makes my heart swell. And uh, how many of these young people that are here today will be giving themselves to ministry in the years ahead? Some full-time, others God will call to be working in the world and being a witness and light in the world, but being committed to Christ and to his ministry. It's one of the things I absolutely love. Well, we're continuing our study this morning on 1 John, and this morning we're looking at chapter 2, verses 3 to verse 11. And as we look at this this morning, there's something that I want you to see. How can we experience the certainty of salvation? What is the fruit of salvation? Now, if you're with us last week, you know that salvation means more than just dying and going to heaven. Now, I think that's extraordinary. I think it's a miracle. I, I look forward to that day in my life when God calls me home. But it's more than that. And this is where a lot of Christians, it's something they don't realize, they don't recognize. Salvation is not just something we look forward to. Salvation is something we experience the moment we believe. And our lives are transformed by the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing strength and hope and encouragement, reminding us of God's truth, challenging us to live lives that reflect the light and the holiness of God. Friends, there's nothing more amazing than giving your life to Jesus and then having him come, make his home through the Holy Spirit in your life and leading and guiding your journey in this world. All of that is part of salvation. One of my favorite passages is the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter, I mean, um, yeah, Ephesians chapter 3. And he says in here, and I, it just 
is so profound to me. To him who is able to do more than you've asked or can even imagine. Now that is life today and forevermore. God wants to do in your life more than you've ever asked him to do or can even imagine. That's all part of salvation. And friends, that's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. And this morning, we want to look at an image as we begin that was given by C.S. Lewis along the theme of trains. I wanted to keep that theme for all of us here this morning. But I've changed a word that he used, and I'll tell you, I never thought in my life that I would say I'm changing something that C.S. Lewis did. But the language today is different. The, the words we use today are different. And so what I want to do is I want to just describe what the Christian life is like, because what we're going to see in our passage today is that the fruit of salvation is obedience to Christ, obedience to his truth, to his word. We're going to see this morning, my salvation does not come because I'm good enough and I obey enough. No, I am saved by God's grace and I receive it by faith. But one of the, one of the fruits of my salvation is that I have a passionate desire to follow Jesus to obey him, to love him, and to serve him. And the more that I deepen in my walk with, with the Lord, the more that the deeper that passion becomes. So here, let me share with you this image that we see from, uh, from C.S. Lewis with my little, my little addition. So the locomotive is what powers the train, right? The locomotive is what powers and moves the train forward. If you ever see a caboose or you ever see a car on a train sitting by itself, this is what you know, it didn't get there by itself. It, something else had to empower it. Something else had to move it. And it could have been a locomotive. It could have been one of those little things that uh, trained people use to, to move cars, but it doesn't move itself. Now, C.S. Lewis used the word um, fact. I think today a much better word is truth, and we're going to see this word throughout our passage this morning. It's the word truth. What is the truth? The truth is who God is. God is truth. He strengthens us. He reveals himself to us. He is the God who is always kind, always merciful. He is the God who is sovereign in control of all things. He is the God who is just. He is the God who is love. And he, the truth of who he is is what changes and transforms us. It's also the truth of his word the truth of the life that he is calling us to live. He defines truth. Now today, we like to say there is no absolute truth. We hear that all the time in our world. What is true is, depends on what each person believes. That is not, that is not truth. Truth is defined and embodied in God himself. And so what happens is, from truth, we 
connect our lives by God's grace. God calls us. God gives us the ability to believe. He extends his grace to us. And we respond in faith. It says in Ephesians 2.8, it says, It is by grace, a gift from God, that you have been saved. From faith, through faith, I should say. So what happens is, I connect <coughs> my car, my life, to the truth of who God is. Actually, God is the one who connects it, but by faith, I am connected by God's grace through faith to this locomotive that drives my life. It's the locomotive of truth. It's God himself. Now, friends, again, I want to say this. I do not, it's not, I'm not connected because I'm good enough. It's not because I'm a pastor. No. It's because God extended his grace to me, and he said, I want you to be my child. Come and be my adopted child for an eternity. And he gives me the faith to say yes, and my car is connected to the living God, and nothing can change that reality. Now, here's where we get tripped up as Christians, and we're going to see this in our passage here today. We think often that salvation is just a moment in time when I am, what the Bible calls, big word, justified. It's called justification. That moment I first believe I am justified by what Christ did for me. I'm forgiven by what Christ did for me on the cross as I receive and believe in him as my Savior. But Paul writes in Philippians that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So what that means is by faith I believe, but by faith I believe initially, but by faith I choose to believe every day. Faith is choosing to follow Jesus. Faith is changing my life in order to be a disciple of Jesus. Faith is choosing. It's choosing to follow Jesus even when it's hard, even when it's painful, even when it's scary. Faith is choosing to follow Jesus first for my salvation and then each and every day and how I live my life. Friends, here's the reality. I am not only saved by faith, now here's another big word you already know, but I'm sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Simply means this. I become more like Jesus by faith. I become more of what God intended me to be by faith. I live every day of my life by faith. In Hebrews it says, without faith you cannot please God. Now, I understand this as a parent. When my children were growing up, you're going to find this shocking. But there were times they didn't agree with me. What? But I'm so smart, I know what you should do. Yeah, right, thank you. My children understood that every time they did what we asked them to do, even when they didn't agree or understand, what they were saying was this, I don't get it, but I love you, I trust you, and so I'm going to obey you. Now, I want to be very honest with you, they didn't always make that decision. 
But the reality is, in our relationship with God, we do the same thing. There are times I don't get it. There are times I don't understand. There are times I don't agree. It's not what I want. But God says, I am going to lead you, and I am going to guide you. Trust me. And so we choose to live by faith. My faith does not, does not lead to salvation. I'm sorry, my obedience doesn't lead to salvation. But my obedience becomes an expression of the depth of my faith. Does that make sense? I love trains. And then the third one that I always love is feelings. And I won't say much about this, but a lot of people base their, their Christian experience on what they feel. Now, I don't know about you, but my feelings go up and down for lots of different reasons. Sometimes it's what I ate for lunch that day. But my emotions do this, right? Up and down, up and down, up and down. I don't base my relationship with God upon what I feel in a worship service or what I feel on any given day. My feelings are rooted, uh, my feelings follow everything, but ultimately my faith is rooted in truth, not in emotions. And this is something we always need to remember. And my love for my wife, let me put it this way, my wife's love for me, praise God, is not based on emotions. Because I'm sure there are mornings she wakes up and, I've, and I'm snoring like a chainsaw. I'm blowing bubbles out my nose. And, and, and she still loves me. It's a miracle. Because her love isn't based upon what she feels in any given moment. Now, having said all of that, now let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. We know that we have come to him if we keep his commands. Do you hear that? It is where we are rooted in the truth. We may not feel like obeying, but by faith I believe in the word of God. I believe in who he is. By faith I want to, I want to exalt him. I want to glorify him in my life. We know that we have come to him if we obey his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, let's walk through this. There's three things I want you to see from this passage this morning. And then, for those of you who are new to Crosspoint, um, in, in the bulletin you received as you came in this morning, there is an outline of the sermon. There is also uh, questions 
to wrestle with coming out of the sermon. You can do that yourself, you can do it with your family, you can do it with a friend, whatever. And then there is a Bible memory verse. I remember uh, um, at my last church, we were always asking children to memorize the Bible, but we never asked adults to do that. We're not doing that here. Okay, we're letting the children lead us. By example, we're gonna memorize scripture too. And then there are passages to read to prepare our hearts for what God is going to say to us next week. So, here's the first thing that I want you to see. The evidence of knowing Christ, I choose to live as Jesus lived. You see, I am connected to the truth of who God is. And by faith, I receive salvation, but each and every day I make the decision to live out my salvation by choosing to obey Jesus, choosing to live the life that I was called to live. By doing that, it doesn't make God love me anymore. By doing that, it doesn't make my salvation, it doesn't make it my salvation more assured. What it does is it shows the certainty of my salvation. So here's what we read. We know that we have come to him if we keep his commands. We know we have come to him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Now, in the writing of that verse, and we don't get the benefit of the precision of the Greek language, but what it means is, in an ongoing manner, you and I are sinners, all of us. You are, I am. We all fail each and every day to live the holy life that God has called us to live. All of us. So what is he saying here? He's not saying, oh, you made a mistake. Oh, you failed. Oh, you, you uh, did not do what God was calling you to do in that moment. No, he's talking about an ongoing life that ignores the truth of who God is. Embodied in, in his character and his nature. Embodied in the word, the Bible, that he has given to us. He says the truth is not in that person. Remember, by faith we connect to God who is truth. We read on and it says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God, underline this in your Bible, love for God is truly made complete in them. That is the blessing of obedience. Love for God is made by God, truly complete in him. In John 14, Jesus said it this way. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And why does he say that? Because essential to love is trust. Essential to love is confidence in someone else. In my marriage, when my wife asks me to do something, I always smile and say, absolutely, honey. Can I do that now? Um, <laughs> she's not here to debate that very point. But my point here is simply this, that central to any human relationship of love is trust. And my obedience becomes that expression that I trust Jesus. I believe that he is truth. And I want to be a part. And once I do that, 
My love for him is made complete. It's beautiful. And then he reads, goes on, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Remember those bracelets a long time ago, WWJD? Am I aging myself here? Oh, stop it. What would Jesus do? It comes from this very verse. What would Jesus do? Whoever claims to live in him to have their car connected to that engine that drives our lives, that empowers and strengthens our lives, must live as Jesus lived. I thought about this, and I, it just some different pictures of this. It's love that is marked by sacrifice. Love that is marked by sacrifice. It's a beautiful thing. What would it mean for you this week in your life to live as Jesus lived? How would, the, how would life in your home be different? How would you be different as a mom or dad? How would you be different as a child? How would you be different as a spouse? How would you be different in the workplace? How would you be different in school? How would you be different in the neighborhood? How would you be different in the church? How would you be different in, in, the, in the ball fields? in the grocery store, at the gas station? How would you be different if you were living as Jesus lived? Here's a second challenge that we see, and that is choose to love as Jesus loved. He says, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. He says, which you have heard since the beginning. He says, the, this old command is the message you have heard. What is that old command? Love one another as I have loved you. That's the old command. Love one another as I have loved you. But then he says this, and it, it's kind of confusing because he's just said, I'm not writing you a new command, I'm writing you an old command. But he goes on and he says this, yet I am writing you a new command. Now it seems like, what? You just said it's an old command. Listen to how it's new now. This is so incredible. He says, it's truth, the truth of that command to love one another is seen in him, in his example, in his nature, in his character, and it's seen in you. You see, when your engine, when your, um, when your car by faith is connected to the locomotive, which is the truth of who God is and how we are to live, when we're connected like that, what happens is people see the love not only of Jesus, but they see the love of Jesus in you and me because the Spirit of God is in us. The Spirit of Jesus is in us, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit teaches us how to love. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to show the light of God's love in all the relationships that we have. The love of Jesus as we connect ourselves to him, as we connect ourselves by faith, by grace, through faith, here's what happens. We begin to love as we never thought we were capable. I have seen marriages healed. I have seen families healed. I have seen relationships healed. Because God so empowers us by his love that we reflect that in our lives. Yet I am writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in Jesus and it's truth is seen in you. 
because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. What is the true light? We talked about it last week. The true light is the holiness of God, his purity and his otherness. He's greater. We sang about that this morning. And the true light is seen. It's seen in his truth. The truth of who he is and the truth of his word. John is bringing all of this together. Now, as I was thinking about all of this, what does it look like to love as Jesus loved? What does that practically look like? Well, we talked about sacrifice. Certainly Jesus laid down his life for us. And one of the things that I taught my children as they're growing up, that love is giving up what you want for you to give to somebody else what God wants for them. God calls us to lay down our lives for one another. Not to demand our way. Not to demand that everybody do what I want them to do but rather to lay my life down before Jesus in order to serve the people that he has put in my life. It's marked by humility. Philippians 2 talks about the great humility of Jesus, and we are to live with that same humility. The older I get, the more important that word becomes to me because it takes humility to love. It takes humility to serve. It takes humility to lay our lives down before Jesus and say, Jesus, not my way, but your way. Or to say, as the Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Amen? That is the beauty of salvation. It's love marked by a desire to elevate others rather than elevating myself. It's love marked by forgiveness. The great picture of Jesus on the cross Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh my gosh. They just abused him. They just crucified him. They just spit on him. Father, forgive them. I have seen people forgive extraordinary things. Extraordinary deep hurts in their lives. It's so freeing. And it's so beautiful. It's love marked by a willingness to be rejected in order to do what is right. And it's love that is marked by a willingness to protect the unprotected. To stand in the gap for those who can't stand for themselves. My son married a girl who is half Japanese. And Carly, and many of you know Carly, she's extraordinary. And I tell you, another example of a porter man marrying way over his head. Amen. Generation after generation, that is our legacy. And Scott, um, well, Carly, grew up in a community called Arroyo Grande. Many of you know Arroyo Grande. And it's a farming, uh, largely a farming community. And there's been a long history of Japanese families in Arroyo Grande who are uh, farmers. During World War II, they, um, her grandparents, were sent to an internment camp in Arizona because they were deemed potentially dangerous because they were Japanese-Americans. It it's a terrible blight on our history. But they sent them to a, um, to a camp, an internment camp. What happened to most people 
most Japanese Americans in that experience, all they had was what they could carry to, to be taken by train or however the, by bus, however they took them. All they could take with them was that which they could carry. What happened to most of them is that when they were released just before the end of the war, they came back to nothing. No home. People came and took their home. No, no business anymore. People came and took their businesses. And they had to start completely over again. Carly's grandparents came home to a much different picture. They had a neighbor in Arroyo Grande that loved them and understood the love of Christ. And what these neighbors did, what this neighbor did was, with their shotgun, they didn't allow anybody to take over the Aketa farm. People tried to take their home. People tried to take their land. And this family held them off. So when the war was over, when they were finally allowed to come home, they came home to their life as it was before. It is an extraordinary picture to me of love. By the way, those families are really connected even to this day because of that example of love. Here is the third point I want you to see this morning. I choose to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I choose to love, now I choose to love you. Now, you're not hard to love. I love you. You are my, my family. Everybody who's a Christian is an adopted child of God. We have the same father. Our God in heaven, we are part of his family. We are his adopted children. That makes you, you lucky people, my brothers and sisters. Don't think I won't call you for a loan one day. We are to love as, as healthy family loves. So we read this. Anyone who claims to be in the light, remember we talked about light. That theme goes all the way through. Light and truth, it goes all the way through 1 John. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. You cannot claim to love Jesus and hate your brother or sister. He goes on and says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, in the truth. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Now, that's a, that's a tough passage. There's lots of things that I could talk about there, but I'm going to keep going here. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. Have you ever walked around in darkness? I remember one night when I was a uh, a, a young adult backpacking with a bunch of friends in the Sierras and it was a night where there was no moon, no stars. And I had the great idea that I was going to go because we were in two different camps because we were limited by size. I was going to go hike to the other camp. Let me just say it didn't work out so well. Let me just say there was a party that went out to look for me come morning. You know how I am directionally challenged. It is not fun to walk in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. There is a dramatic difference between living in the light by faith 
trusting God and his word and who he is and saying, man, I give you all who I am, God. Uh, everything that I am, Lord, I give to you. Everything. I withhold nothing from you. We get to live in the light. We get to live in the truth. We get to experience the fullness of love for God and his love for us. I'd say that's a pretty cool thing. I want to close with this story. It's a story that comes from the Civil War time, actually just before the Civil War. And a northerner who was anti-slavery had went, went to, a, um, to a, uh, a place where they were selling slaves. And one slave came up, and he bid on that slave, and he bought that slave. Listen to the conversation that ensued. As they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl, the slave that he had purchased, and this is what he said to her, you're free. With amazement, she responded, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes, he said. And to say whatever I want? Yes, anything. And to be whatever I want? Yep. And even go wherever I want to go? Yes, he answered with a smile. You're free to go wherever you'd like to go. And she looked at him intently and she said, then I choose to go with you. When I came to understand the depth of the grace of God and that he would stir in my life and give me the ability to believe, I said to him, then I choose to go wherever you go. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your love for your people, for your goodness and your, your grace, your love, your compassion, your mercy, your kindness, your, your goodness, your discipline. Father, we love who you are. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see even more of you. God, open our hearts to your truth. Lord, I pray for any here today that are hearing you by your spirit speak to their heart today about an area of their life that represents darkness and not light. And I pray, Lord, that just as that slave girl who had been freed understood that she wanted to live with, in the life of someone who loved her. Lord, may they come to understand that it's for freedom that you set them free. And it's a freedom to live in your love, to live in your truth, to live in your light, to live in you. God, transform our church community to be a community to, that is known for our love, our love for you and our love for one another. May people know that we are followers of Jesus, children of the light, because of the way we treat one another. May you be glorified, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.